0: Welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find Hope in the Heart of Family Life with us. Welcome, friends. Uh, Welcome back to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We are on episode number two. Uh, My name is Alicia. I am your host and the Executive Director of No Heart Left Behind. And once again, I am here with our founder slash lead belief therapist slash my mom, Abby. (laughs) Hi, Alicia. It's great to be here. Looking forward to talking with you about marriages. It's my passion. Yeah, so I'm really excited because today we are going to be kicking off our first series Yay! And in the first series, we're going to be doing, we, we were kind of praying about what to lead with because, you know, there's so many different aspects of family life that are tough to navigate. And so we were like, what do we start with? <laughs> and after praying about it and just kind of talking through it, I think we landed on marriage, mostly because there's this saying that you always say to me, right. you know, there are pluses and minuses of having a marriage counselor as a mom, <laughs> mostly pluses. But one thing you always say to me is if you don't take care of yourself, there's no self for the relationship. And if you don't take care of the relationship, there's no family for the, children. for the children, so what do you what right. do you mean by that?
1: Well, I what I see in my office, and when individuals come in, oftentimes um, the couples have gotten their priorities out of order, and they don't take care of themselves, and then if they don't take care of themselves by just resting or having special time for themselves, then there's no self to be there for the relationship. Unfortunately, when children come along, the order of uh, importance, uh, the children get placed oftentimes ahead of the relationship, and then that's when the relationships oftentimes go south. So I really encourage couples to take care of themselves first and then to take care of the relationship second because that's the most important part. That If you don't take care of the relationship, there's not going to be any family for the child to have security and assurance uh, in the home.
0: Yeah. And I, knowing, speaking from experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like it is just a subtle shift that can happen Absolutely. when the kids come along. It's not like you mean to neglect your relationship, but you just kind of, I just feel like we get busy doing life and it's like, oh, we should probably have a date night or, you know, do those things that um, really does help. To, to keep you connected. Yes, to yeah. keep us connected. So, it's pretty clear as your daughter and your co-employee <laughs> that... And then basically what we talked about last week in the episode that marriage is your jam. Like, okay. that is your favorite type of client. Um, you have a passion for it. So, where did that passion for helping marriages come from? Well... Basically, um,
1: over the years, what I've noticed is that marriages are falling apart and families are um, falling apart, and I noticed that Satan is attacking this nation at the root of the family, and it's out of that then that um, I began to have a passion to help individuals, not only because, as you well know, Alicia, um, my passion for that, but then you can speak from experience as far as my own marriage and what you as my daughter saw between your dad and I Mm -hmm. in our marriage.
0: Yep. Yeah, so I feel like that's so important because, you know, a lot of what shapes us is our family and the experiences that we have there, uh, the wounds that we receive there, and so when when things there are broken and insecure and unstable and a lot of dysfunction in it, that keeps getting handed down
1: from generation from to gener- generation.
0: Yes, right. and and so I I really feel like the heart of what we. What our mission is, is in st- to stop that cycle. So instead of families just handing down from generation to generation woundedness and brokenness that, you know, perhaps there are things, um, I guess perhaps a healing could take place. Right. And instead of handing down insecurity and wounds, families could begin to hand down Christ and love and stability and healthy um, family units. So that's really, I feel like a lot of why you do what you do. But I also think, uh, you know, the passion for marriages really comes out of your story. I'm really excited. So one of the episodes we're going to have you and dad on to just really dive into your story. Um, So I'm really, really excited about that. But I think the best way to sum up everything that you and dad have been through, that you always pretty much tell everybody that if God can save your marriage... He can save anybody's marriage. He really can. (laughs) That's right.
1: Yeah, we were on the verge of divorce um, numerous times.
0: And I really feel like that is where your passion for Mm -hmm. marriages comes from. Yeah, Because I, I can see what... Having God
1: in the center of your marriage can do. It literally changed us little bit by little bit by little bit. It was not a bibbity bobbity boo kind of thing, but over the years uh, began to find a new perspective to look at one another.
0: First, before we get there, I just want to kind of read off a couple of statistics concerning marriage. You know, according to the U.S. World Population Review, 50% 50% of married couples divorce. That's not
1: a good statistic. And it's That's not, a good, yeah. it's That's, not
0: a good statistic. And, you know, in doing some research, it does seem like um, there is some hope and benefit that Christian marriages are, the, the percentage of divorce rate there is a little bit better, but it's still... It's 30%. It's right. still pretty high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, in the United States, for marriages, we have the sixth highest divorce rate in the world and you could chalk that up to not maybe getting married young or not finding the right person the first time and as you get older you can you know you're better at picking out your person I guess but I mean those the same World Population Review said 60% of second marriages are ending divorce and then third marriages are at a staggering rate of 73% so it's just heartbreaking, um, and I just really feel like it goes back to what you were saying just about Satan attacking this world at the right. heart of family, which is which is marriage. So that's why I'm really, really excited to dive into this series. But for this one, I kind of want to give our listeners just an idea of... Um, you know, what what they can expect from this series. Because it is a six-part series. I mean, there's a lot that goes into working on your marriage. So, Broken Together. I Personally, I love the title because I think that's so true. You know, in marriage, it's just two broken people coming in with all their baggage and Mm -hmm. trying to make it work. But where did this idea of marriage broken together come from? Because this is a a class that we teach um here locally so this is this has been done before right
1: well the the idea came as i was listening to um the song by casting crowns and uh, the title of the song was broken together and as i listened to it the holy spirit perked my heart and said you might want to listen to the words of this song more specifically because it truly describes, oftentimes, what happens in a marriage relationships, And so the beginning of the song really struck me. It said, what do you think about when you look at me? I know you're not the fairy tale you dreamed we'd be. You wore the veil and walked the aisle. You took my hand and we dove into a mystery. And, you know, that just talks about we have these expectations coming into the marriage and thinking that everybody's going to live happily ever after. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that it's not that easy. Yeah. Mm.
0: And I feel like um, the end of the song is also really powerful, or at least the end of the chorus um, because isn't that what happens It's like our expectations and our dreams of what we thought marriage were going to look like. They don't happen no. that way. And the dreams get shattered. And then we don't know what to do right. and unforgiveness and bitterness and all of those things, um, mount up and then they kind of tear them apart. And the last part of the song, it says, if you can bring your shattered dreams and I'll bring mine, could healing still be spoken and save us? The only way will last forever is broken together. How it must have been so lonely by my side. We were building kingdoms and chasing dreams and left love behind. I'm hoping God will help our broken hearts align and we won't give up the fight. And that's key.
1: Bottom line, the question that Mark Hall and Bernie Herms, who wrote this song, that what they're addressing is the question of, can you lay down who you thought I was, And love the me that is, the me that is marked with wounds, insecurities, and brokenness. And that's basically the goal of the class, to answer that question and to show couples that, yes, you can live together broken as you bring Christ at the center of your marriage to heal or to mend
0: that brokenness together. Yeah, and that's really what we're going to dive into. Mom, to really dive into this... Broken together series. Right. Uh, I really feel like we have to first understand our brokenness. Like, what about us is broken? I don't, you know, right. what that looks like and how it plays into marriage. So how how do we do that? How do we understand our brokenness?
1: Well, i I think first, to to really begin to have the foundation of brokenness, we've got to go back all the way to the beginning to the original creation. And if you take a look at it in Genesis chapter one and verse and chapter two, basically that's where God shows us that we were created in God's image, okay? And because God is love, we were created to love, okay? And from that point on, in Genesis 1, 28, he says mankind had a divine purpose. He gave us purpose. And then he gave us our needs. He provided for all of our needs, our spiritual needs, because remember, we were one with God. And then we also had a sense of identity and belonging to God and each other because we were connected to God. We were not separated from God at that time. So the original creation was for us to be connected to God and then to love. That was our original purpose.
0: Yeah, and so... You were talking about, you said the word needs, like, and that we, you know, before the fall, we were getting all of those needs met from, from God. So what are you talking about with those needs? Like, what are those needs that we get from God? Uh, before
1: the fall, there are three basic spiritual needs that God gave us That when we were one with Him. And the first one was our significance, okay? We had an identity because we were one with Him. So that's the first spiritual need. The second spiritual need is belonging. And that belonging came from we belong to God. And then the third spiritual need that we all have is assurance or security. And so those three needs we got from god
0: before the fall and then then the fall came Fall came. All right? <laughs> go yeah. there because yeah. we all know what happened after the okay. fall okay. <laughs> unfortunately um we
1: weren't we didn't stay connected to god and because of sin so to to understand the dynamics of that if you go into genesis 3 1 that's where satan a new voice was introduced besides God's voice, which was Satan's voice, the enemy's voice. And he knew exactly what to do to get Eve to look away from God and look at herself. And so the first thing Satan asked her was, did God really say you must not eat from the tree? And so with that question, he began the journey of doubt and that... Eve began to doubt. She doubted that God was who he said he was. She, she doubted that God could do what he said he could do. But then she also doubted herself. She doubted that she could do what God was asking her to do, and she doubted that she was who he says she was. And so from that moment on, from doubt came um, she exaggerated, and then Satan told her the lie, which was, You shall surely be, you won't, you won't surely die. And then bottom line is she believed the lie and she acted on the lie and
0: sin entered the world. And you said that lie meaning if i if i'm understanding you correctly is that those needs that we got from, from God. God before the fall Right. The enemy basically convinced even her heart that if she was going to get those needs met that she had to she had to do it herself. She right. had to get it outside of of God and really made her doubt God's heart towards her. And I, you know, I think it's funny. Well, it's not funny. That's not the right word. Um, You know, I guess some would maybe wonder like, okay, why are we going all the way back to this creation story when we're talking about marriage? Mm -hmm. And so how does this play out in the marriage? I'm curious what you would say because I have a thought. Okay.
1: Well, well, it plays out in the to remember that we are God is a relational god and his whole desire was to have relationship with us and then when sin came it destroyed that relationship and so Unfortunately, instead of going to him for our significance belonging and security, we now go to the world. And that's where I was going. I was going to the world for significance.
0: Well yeah. and I I think even more specifically we go to our spouse. Yeah. <laughs> like we yeah. <laughs> we we look to this broken human to fulfill all of our heart's desires and needs for feeling for the, loved, yeah. I mean, it's like we take this God-sized need for love and we shove it into a human, right. like our spouse, and when they can't measure up, which they're not going to be able, they're to. not going to be able to. Because
1: no human or nothing from the world can fulfill a spiritual need. Okay, because really. We were created to live from a motive of, I'm alive to love you. But when sin came along, we now live from, I need you to love me instead of, I'm alive to love you. And that's Mm -hmm. such a huge shift. shift.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I I always think about the passage in, was it 1 Corinthians, when it's describing love and it's talking about love is not self-seeking, but man is it hard to live in that place instead of looking at my husband to meet my needs to live in the space of realizing no i am called to love him, love him and right. me and be selfless and right. so that, that can be really hard to do out of the fall and and the effects of the fall you know what how you know it it broke us for sure but what how does that brokenness Play out like what are some of the effects of this brokenness or sin? Well, the biggest effect is that we were separated from God. We were
1: separated from our love source and we then turned to the world to try to be loved by other people or things and to get our significance belonging and security. As I said earlier, the, from that you, we dealt with rejection, which brought that rejection brought about a need to belong,
0: okay? And the big, I mean, you always, I mean, whenever you're working with couples, I know that before you work with the couples, you really have to address the individuals. So, I mean, and one of the biggest topics that, um, affects marriages is the individual's shame. Shame. Right. And a lot of times our spouses will inadvertently trigger, um, that shame so how does shame play into to marriage huge um the message of
1: shame doesn't say i made a mistake the message of shame says i am a mistake and so if you're both coming into the to the marriage with the message of shame You're going to feel that you might not, you know, because I'm inadequate, because I can't do anything right. These are all the messages that shame tells you. You come into the marriage with um, a feeling that you're never going to measure up, that no matter what you do, it's never going to be enough. Yeah, like
0: what, what might shame look like? Like what behaviors or what thoughts might shame Look like
1: well, there's a lot of them, and it's different for everybody. Compare and compete. You know, you compare yourself. One of the things I ask my clients is, "Have you ever compared yourself to somebody else?" And they all go, "Yes." And I go, "Do you compare yourself and win, or do you compare yourself and lose?" And ninety-nine point nine percent of them say they compare and lose. So that's a behavior that comes out of shame. Um, another thing is they, out of shame, um, they both uh, the. Uh, Individuals um, are excruciatingly very self-focused. It's all about self, and the DNA of sin is self, and um, self-centered, self-reliant. And so out of that message of shame, instead of looking to God, we look within ourselves, and because of the message of shame, we never measure up. Okay, um, We can't bear criticism. And um, that was a big one of mine growing up, or growing up in my marriage, is that I would take just a suggestion from my husband as criticizing me and um, would constantly get angry. Um, a prevailing low self or a low-grade uh, depression can come out of the message of shame. And uh, it amazes me, like in Genesis 2.25... God shows us right before the fall, he says, it says um, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. But then in Genesis 3, 7, that's when shame came into the world. That's when they went and hid. And so a lot of these behaviors are hiding things, struggling with low self-esteem, having a shame grid. And a shame grid is huge um, if you don't understand it. Um, I can remember as a speaker, I was standing next to another speaker that had done a program on the same day that I had, and someone came up and said, "Hey, you did a great." Said to the other speaker, "Oh, you were wonderful, young lady." And but they didn't tell me I was wonderful. So as soon as they said told her that she was wonderful, I immediately went to I'm a failure. I'm right. no good. I'm yeah.
0: well. You always in talking about the fall, you call these um, I guess thoughts of th- or ways of thinking or behavior patterns, you often call them fig leaves. Fig leaves, right. Because it's a way that we try to hide our shame. Right. Right? Yeah. Because if I fail, I'm unworthy of
1: love. So it's really important for me to make sure that I never fail because I needed to be successful or I needed you to love me because I didn't love myself. I yeah. didn't. I had no self-worth whatsoever.
0: Okay? And so those dynamics... How do they play into a a marriage? So those same behavior patterns are triggered by the spouse or... Yeah, they're triggered by the spouse, but then also something that um,
1: I call heart pain words. And those are feelings that become your truth instead of just letting them be feelings. For example, if I feel my husband doesn't love me anymore, it must be true that he doesn't love me anymore. If I feel inadequate it must mean that I am inadequate. And so I bring that into the marriage and, and with the perspective, and we're going to be talking about perspective later on. I don't want to get into that right now because that's a whole segment in and of itself. But um, I bring that in, and I need my husband to tell me that I'm okay. But the more he tells me I'm okay, the more I don't believe it. And he gets frustrated because he's trying to tell me that I'm beautiful and Mm -hmm. I'm wonderful and, and I go, I think a
0: lot of husbands can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know for, I know for Carrie and I, I know one of the things that I really walked into our marriage with, um, I just somewhere along the line, uh, picked up the lie that masculinity couldn't be trusted like that. If there Uh was a, um, you know, a, something bad was going down or a stressful situation that the only one that was going to rescue me from it was, was me like dad wasn't going to be there. You know, God definitely wasn't going to be there. And so I developed this behavior pattern of, um, just feeling like needing to be superhuman that Mm -hmm. I could handle everything and do all the things And I realized that I really carry that into my marriage in the sense of I struggle to depend on Carrie for things. Mm -hmm. I struggle to um, depend on him for things emotionally. Like, you know, your spouse is the person you should be the most vulnerable with and a lot of times... He knows this about me, um, and he has to pry stuff out of me because I just keep... Shutting down. I try to stand on my own two feet and not invite him into my heart, and that can... You know, stuff like that, because of the shame that I experienced growing up, really sometimes can create that distance and disconnect in um, our marriage that we were...
1: You know, Alicia, that's another effect of the fall... Uh, or sin, whatever you, want, whatever you want to call this, um, and that is feeling weak and helpless. And we don't want to feel weak and helpless because we feel vulnerable. And so then it's really important for us to find a, a, a way to control the situation and or to be strong in the situation that I can do it myself. I don't need anybody else. I don't need a savior. I don't need a husband. I can do it myself. I need my husband for certain things, but
0: I don't need him to take care of me. Right. I think I I would say that Carrie has definitely put up with a lot of my control issues, but those, all of those self things, the self-centered, self-sufficient, self-reliant, I kind of tend to be like the self-reliant, self-sufficient type and You know, the Lord has definitely been working on my heart to realize, to just to heal those lies and wounds in my heart that, you know, um, that I I don't need to be all those things that I ultimately need to be dependent on him, but that, you know, Carrie is a vessel, um, that I can rely on him and stay connected to him and walk through things together with him and not feel like I need to have all the control. Now that we have, you know, kind of a basic understanding of our brokenness, like why we're broken, um, where that comes from, what comes out of it, shame, feeling
1: Worthless. weak
0: and helpless and all the different, you know, lies and behavior patterns and thinking patterns that come out of it. What do you think is important for couples to know Um with the like what what is important for them to know after having had this understanding okay i th- i think bottom
1: line and and very in a very simple way is that for you i think if you don't learn anything from this podcast today other than learning this learn that your husband or your wife your spouse is not the enemy okay we in Ephesians six, it says we fight against flesh and blood and and that instead of warring against flesh and blood, we should be fighting against and we're to fight against the principalities of the the air and which is Satan, okay and so. Um, that, that I think number one thing is to remember that your spouse is not the enemy. I can remember when the Holy Spirit showed me that in a scripture. It's in Second Corinthians chapter two, five through ten, and in the very and in verse ten, it talks about, "For we are not unaware of Satan's schemes, is which is to break us apart."
0: Yeah, a lot of times, you know, when when Carrie and I are in conflict or there's like resentment or some anger building up. I think something just as simple as being aware of the truth that my spouse is not to is not the enemy, right. and that there is an accuser and a liar out there that is looking to steal, kill, and destroy anything good right. that God has put in my life. Um, and just the perspective shift that he is the enemy and not my spouse, like can disarm so many arguments and those feelings of bitterness and resentment. Now, we have to work through right. that stuff, but instead of being at each other's throats and at odds with each other, we can get almost get on the same team and attack the problem right. and not each other. Right, exactly. Because
1: ultimately, Satan's primary purpose is to render you fruitless, in your relationship, and how he does that is by hardening your heart. Okay, not your physical heart, but your spiritual heart. Bitterness, anger, all those things that grow up around your spirit from the world, and you live out of that instead of the truth of God's Word.
0: And what are the, what are some of those things that, you know, the enemy uses to disconnect mm-hmm. relationships? Well, we've already spoken about several of them unmet expectations
1: we've talked about that earlier unforgiveness is huge um and because unforgiveness is like drinking poison expecting the other person to die and from that unforgiveness then we find out that we really are the ones who are being held captive and so unforgiveness is huge. Anger, that was one that I used. Um, Anger is an emotion that gives you the illusion that you're in control, and so if I feel that I'm feeling vulnerable or weak and helpless, what do I want? I want a power and control, and that anger can help you get that. Um, Differences between you, as I said earlier in my testimony about that my husband was very quiet and reserved and logical and steady, and I was totally the opposite of him. And we got married, and we, when living together, we began to not understand those differences. And um, so that's huge, because who's it easier to communicate with, people who are like you or people who are different than you? Well, we found out that we were totally different, and, and early on in our marriage, we had a hard time uh, learning to communicate effectively. Other things that Satan uses is unbelief, and uh, there's a scripture that says they didn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief, and uh, unbelief is huge uh, because right in the middle of the word belief there, unbelief is the word lie, and so once again, that's the struggle that Satan uses, the lies versus truth. Yeah, but
0: like in terms of marriage,
1: like... Okay, I, well, for example, my husband would tell me I was beautiful, and I didn't believe I was beautiful, and so I would get angry at him when he would tell me that, that he, yeah. I felt he was blowing smoke up my butt, you know? <laughs> and, and so, what is it that you believe to be true about your spouse? Yeah. All Do you look at them through God's eyes, or do you look at them through the lies of the world? And yeah. unfortunately, we have a tendency to look at each other through the lies of the world.
0: Yeah. The, so, um... Another term you use a lot, you know, because I, I don't, I, th- I think marriages, it's like a slow, almost like a slow leak as like these feelings of resentment or unmet expectations and bitterness kind of start to build. You like to call that term something. It's called, you call it creeping separateness. Creeping separateness. What does that mean exactly? Well, I learned that
1: term from C.S. Lewis. I'd love to take credit for that. But C.S. Lewis is the one I was reading in one of his biographies. He was talking about that in relationship. And so creeping separateness, just like you said, it's like a, a slow leak. That little bit by little bit by little bit, you start off together, but then life has a tendency and Satan has a tendency to pull you apart from one another and just get disconnected right right and as the word says it's creeping it's not an instantaneous thing it's kind of like when you put two frogs in a boiling pot of water well if you if you put them in a boiling pot of water with the pot boiling they're going to jump out but if you put them in a pot of cold water and put the frogs in and turn up the heat and let it become slowly. slowly to the point of boiling. They're going to die. And that's kind of how it is with creeping separateness. Because they're not going to notice. They're not going to notice that, oh my gosh, and then they wake up 20 years later and, you know, you, you go, what's wrong with our marriage? Yeah. Or you know.
0: yeah. Um, so what... What would be some sign? like what does that look like okay. in a marriage, creeping separateness? What, what... Well,
1: there's early signs and then there's warning signs. And couples come into the office in both stages. I prefer and I'm grateful when they come in at the early signs of creeping separateness versus the warning signs. But the early signs are your life can begin to have Crowded schedules. I I think Alicia knows about crowded schedules. Uh, you know, and um, you just get busy doing other things other than making room for your for your spouse. That's why I'm such a proponent of date night. Um, really, really believe that you need to. Um, that's why
0: you offer free babysitting that's for all right. of my date nights. <laughs> yes, I do.
1: <laughs> yep, she got me on that one. Mm-hmm. So, And then um, you'll find that over time you'll begin to not share your hopes and dreams and feelings and everything because you're too busy with other things. You know, it's a way for you. Satan uses it to disconnect you.
0: Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like you get so busy talking about schedules and the stuff right. that's going on with the kids and just like very... Mm-hmm. Uh, Logistical, practical stuff, and and you know you can miss their heart right. for sure. Yeah. And what right. else? And then the third one is no show of affection,
1: is that you know you're too tired, not tonight, dear. I have a headache. Um, uh, just not taking time to sit on the couch and hold hands, just or just hugging. Greeting your husband at the door with a hug. It's like, oh, it's you yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And, so, and
0: then from there, it can kind oh, of get gets, pretty intense. Yeah. So what what does some of that look like?
1: Criticism, where you begin to focus on the fault of your spouse. Um, defensiveness. You criticize, they get defensive. And then the, what I find is really hard is that the one spouse, or both of them, We'll stonewall the other and shut shut the other person out. Yeah, this, and you know. at
0: that point, it really feels like... There's no hope. Well, and that you're roommates. Yeah. Like you're living under the same roof, yeah. but you're roommates. And, you know, that is not...
1: What God intends for marriage. Yeah. And I hear that a lot. I hear that an awful lot in the office about that. Uh, I just feel like we're roommates. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the, the good news is is that even with all of this, this brokenness and all of these issues... That there there is hope. Like that's why we're here of hope in the heart. Hope in the heart of family life. And even though things at times can feel hopeless hopeless, they're not hopeless. So Don't. what what would you say to the listener out there who is sitting in her car or his car feeling like he is at the end of his relationship and there is no hope to them for for them. What what would you say? Well, according to the world, there might
1: not be hope, but I'm not about um, helping couples with the world's perspective. I'm all about helping them see God's perspective and to live from that instead of the world's perspective. And hope is a big word for me because... Like I said earlier, if God can change my marriage and heal my marriage and heal my heart, he can heal anyone's marriage and anyone's heart. And so when it comes to hope, two of my favorite scriptures, the first one is Romans 15:13, And that says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow, overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. it's Because it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that all marriages can be healed if they so look to that. And the other one is uh, in First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 that says that we are born into a living hope. And that's key. It's not just the, I hope Santa Claus is going to be good to me, kind of hope. That's the world's kind of hope. Yeah. But and I know so. I know that because Christ died on the cross, and we have access to the resurrected power and the ability to be able, as we walk through life, to get um, to get the opportunity to have the opportunity to live from God's perspective, which is all about hope.
0: Yeah, I I know from. Um... My point of view just watching you and dad struggle through um, the low points of your marriage and just the the way that you clung to Christ and were both willing to look at, look at yourselves right. and the disconnect of that marriage. Um, there really is. I I've, I really believe that when you have two people that are willing to look at their own hearts and the disconnect of their marriage and put Christ at the center of the marriage, there really is nothing too hard for God to heal. And that's really what we're going to get into right. the, for the rest of the series. Uh, Alicia, I want to add to that. Uh,
1: statement about two people looking within their own hearts and then looking to God. It doesn't necessarily have to start with both people being willing to. I've I've had numerous couples come into my office where one spouse or the other was not willing to come in at the moment, and they ask, "Can is it still?" Hopeful that our marriage can last, and I go absolutely, um, because in my own life, I my husband was not on board initially to uh, look onto Jesus and to uh, heal the marriage, because he was very angry with me, and so. Um, but I knew that as I met Christ, that he, as I. Spent time in the Word and began to know the love of Christ that my I began to change. And my husband's testimony is he saw that change in me and wanted what I got. And it was my changing, my heart softening that he wanted. And as my heart softened, he joined with me. But don't ever think that your spouse has to be with you on the same page simultaneously, that it can start with one and then the change of that one can affect and, um, impact the life of the spouse.
0: Okay. Now it is time for my favorite segment, the counselor's corner segment. And this segment is really just an opportunity for our listeners to ask any question concerning to marriage or any aspect of family life. It doesn't always fit. Um, And just curl up on your couch and allow you to speak encouragement and life to them. So our listeners question says this. We once had a Christian marriage counselor who actually made our relationship worse and was very discouraging about the future of our relationship. We still feel like we could benefit from family therapy, but aren't sure how to navigate into that again after such a terrible experience the first time. Any tips? That's a great question.
1: If you're talking about a Christian counselor, it would be important for you to look to a counselor that points you to the who and not the how. And what I mean by that is the world's way of trying to solve problems is through the how. Give me seven steps and seven habits and let me practice those and uh, when I'm done with them, my marriage will be better. Oftentimes, that does not work.
0: That seems more like behavior modification. Right,
1: right. And and I am not a behavior modification kind of counselor um, because I'm all about the who. And the who is the how. Now what do I mean by that is that God's perspective and all he tries to teach us in relationship has Christ at the center of it. And so that's why I believe Christian counseling that uses the word of God to give you a new perspective can help you okay so that's that's the first thing is that be aware of are they using the word or are they using the world's way okay there are a lot of great christian counselors out there who use the world's way so i'm not saying that don't go to any counselor like that but just be aware of the world's counsel versus god's counsel and
0: i think too it can be a little confusing sometimes because sometimes there are christian counselors that are using the word but in a very legalistic behavior modification type approach and that
1: I feel like
0: is not healthy either and that can be almost the harder thing to navigate because it seems like it's Christian right but so there that leads me into then the second thing
1: would be um, look for a counselor who is grace filled versus law oriented you know because grace is that power that can change and soften your heart And uh, so it's, it's really important for that. And then um, finally, I would say this, um, don't give up. Uh, Don't ever give up. Fall down seven times, get up eight. Fall down eight times, get up nine. Um, And basically, as my daughter says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That uh, just because you had an experience with one counselor who was not, uh, was, who was very discouraged and didn't give you hope, um, it doesn't mean that they're Aren't more counselors out there that you could go, and so I would say just continue to go, find that individual, listen to your friends, uh, who might refer you to someone that they've used before, and um, be able to continue on with with the finding the answer because what God has brought together, let nothing of this world separate it.
0: Yeah, and I feel like I, I feel like the biggest thing when I was searching for my counselor was just. Um, praying and ask God to show you mm-hmm. to bring you to the right person because his heart for your marriage is to heal right and so you know he's I I know that when I was looking for my counselor it mm. was it was just a, a prayer up to God and then through people just recommending certain right. people we were able to find the right one right Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com, or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer.